In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Jesus, Word of God, reveal more of yourself to us through your presence in the Bible. Led by the Holy Spirit, guide our time of reflection. It increase our desire for you in the Scripture and in the sacrament. Amen. Christmas is almost here, and our readings at Mass this weekend shift from John the Baptist to the Messiah's birth. We kick off with a passage from the book of the prophet Micah. Micah was contemporary with our old friend Isaiah the Rapper, likely doing his prophet thing sometime around 700 BC. The first three chapters of his book are prophecies of punishment, while chapters 4 and 5 are prophecies of salvation. And this weekend we hear from the fifth and final chapter. In the passage, Micah is speaking directly to Bethlehem Ephrathah. Ephrathah is the name of the clan of people who lived in and around Bethlehem, but they were a very small tribe. Micah calls them too small to be among the clans of Judah. But the word small here actually has a meaning more like little, insignificant, or young. The Ephrathites were kind of the measly runt bunch of the Israelites. And yet it's from this territory that Micah says the Messiah will be born. Because Bethlehem is the region in which King David was born, there's a number of ways that Micah says this Messiah will be like King David. Not only will he stand firm and shepherd his flock, but also will be ruler in Israel. His greatness shall reach to the ends of the earth in a similar way that King David was revered by so many. Just when you thought we were finished with the homily to the Hebrew Christians from a few weeks back, boom, we're back into it once again with our second reading. The author here makes his point about sacrifices by taking a passage from the Old Testament and demonstrating how it applies to Jesus. He pulls out the Greek translation of Psalm 40, specifically verses 7 through 9, says that when Christ came into the world, he said the words of Psalm 40, then quotes the psalm, and finally demonstrates what he's talking about. As you may remember, one of the big points of the homily to the Hebrew Christians is demonstrating how the one sacrifice of Christ, the high priest, supersedes the former sacrifices. There's actually four different types of sacrifices that the author mentions when he quotes Psalm 40. Sacrifice, offering, burnt offering, and sin offering. Yet the English language doesn't capture the fact that these are originally four very different words in Hebrew, and the four different sacrifices listed here make up the entirety of sacrifices that could be offered at the temple. Peace offerings, cereal offerings, burnt offerings, and sin offerings. The author therefore here is including all of the sacrifices of the temple to show how all of these have been made obsolete because of Christ. Now, truth be told, the author does tweak the words of Psalm 40 a bit to make it fit better into the context of Jesus. Most noticeably, Psalm 40 verse 7 in the translation used for Mass says, Sacrifice an offering you do not want. You opened my ears. Yet the author of Hebrews says, Sacrifice an offering you did not desire, but a body you prepared for me. Was he able to get away with such a noticeable difference? When the Hebrew scripture was translated into Greek, what we call the Septuagint, the translator changed ear into body, understanding that what was happening in part was indicative of the whole. Or, in other words, if God is opening the ear, he's opening the body. But furthermore, this word open means something more like to fashion, dig, or prepare. And that's how the verse in the psalm, you opened my ears, differs so greatly from what's quoted in Hebrews, a body you prepared for me. Our gospel passage is one we've heard before. It's the visitation of Mary to Elizabeth. We heard it back on August 15th for the Feast of the Assumption. And in that episode, we showed how Luke keys upon five different links between the story of the Ark of the Covenant in the second book of Samuel and Mary's arrival as the new Ark. But here, we're going to look at some other aspects of the story. Firstly, we hear that Mary sets out in haste to the hill country, to a town of Judah. 
very well could be that after the angel Gabriel tells Mary she's pregnant, she leaves Nazareth in haste to escape the embarrassment of this unforeseen pregnancy. Remember that Mary was betrothed to Joseph, but they weren't yet living together as husband and wife. So the fact that Mary was pregnant before her wedding day would have raised many eyebrows. And it's possible that she leaves town to avoid the questioning looks of so many in Nazareth, which would have been like small town USA where everybody knows everybody else's business. When Mary arrives, she should have given all reverence to her cousin Elizabeth. After all, Elizabeth is the wife of a priest who serves in the temple in Jerusalem. Mary is just the wife of a simple craftsman in Nazareth. In a culture so concerned with social status, Mary ought to have been reverencing Elizabeth. But as so often happens in Scripture, the opposite transpires. Elizabeth recognizes Mary's importance and even calls her the mother of my Lord. This is important because in ancient Israel, a queen wasn't the king's wife, but rather the king's mother. Her influence was second only to the king himself. And so when Elizabeth speaks of Mary as the mother of my Lord, she's calling attention to her great importance as the queen to her son, the king. So that's it. That's your Sunday setup for this fourth Sunday of Advent in year C. May this knowledge of the story behind the scripture allow you to encounter Jesus Christ in a new way this weekend. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.